Remote work has become the norm these days under COVID-19 and broadcasts are no different. And joining me today to talk about remote connectivity for live production are three guests from Ross Video. First, we have Brandon Rhoda, Senior Solutions Architect for Ross Video. Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Absolutely. And we also have Les O'Reilly. He's a product manager for production switchers at Ross Video. Les, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Tyler. You got it. And we also have Mike Paquin, the product manager for Overdrive at Ross Video as well. Mike, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Absolutely. Full house for this interview. And uh, Brandon, let's start off here. Just when we talk about remote connectivity for live production, uh, what are some of the keys to creating and building a successful remote live production? Yeah, there's really three key factors to remote production. And the first one is having the infrastructure uh, to be able to support people dialing in from from home and being able to run all of your equipment. Uh, the second thing is really the, the communication side of being able to see, being able to hear, and being able to communicate and talk with everybody else that's working on the production with you. And then you got to, the third thing is really understanding that you have to use your tools a little bit differently when you're, when you're running remote. You can't just do things the same way that you've been doing them um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Brendan, I want to ask the, the follow-up then just about the infrastructure and, and those network requirements um, that, uh, that you need to be able to pull off a broadcast like this. What are some best practices and things that people should be aware of as far as that goes? Yeah, so, I mean, having VPN access into your facility from home is really one of the biggest key, key things that, you, that, that, that is required. So, you know, VPN access, working with your IT department, knowing that, you know, that's, that's, how you need to run things because a lot of the production gear is not always accessible on a VPN network. So there's going to be, have to have to be some restructuring um, on the network in order to make some of that stuff happen. And then you got to also know that, you know, we're using remote access applications. And so um, coordinating with your remote, with your IT department on which remote access apps that they're going to actually allow, um, you know, cause some of them are public facing only, or, you know, they may have a mode that can be local only, uh, but you need to make sure that you work with your IT department on that. And, and as well as with your vendors on what's, what apps that they support and what they've tested with their own equipment on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about that seeing and hearing aspect, because that's obviously going to be extremely vital when it comes to pulling off uh, a remote live broadcast. And so talk me through a little bit more of what's required for that, maybe some best practices people should be aware of. Yeah, so one of the biggest problems you're going to have is going to be latency. And so as, as we were talking about earlier, you're trying to get the video from your multi-viewers, from your preview of the cameras and things that you're trying to include in your production. You need to get that as quickly to the people working at home or working remotely as you can. And so things like WebRTC and SRT give us a little bit more leeway in that they're, they're going to have a little bit more compression on them, but they're going to be delivered really, really quickly. So, for example, things like a Zoom call or Teams or whatever meeting platform you choose, those things happen really fast in real time. And if you're able to get your video into something like one of those platforms, you can quickly share it to all those users at home. And it's not the most ideal solution, obviously, but for people to quickly deploy and get going by taking your multi-viewer, even we've seen some of our customers, just because they couldn't get their hands on the conversion uh, utilities in time, they've stuck a webcam up, just shooting their actual screen in their facility and allowing it to join into that conversation. So now all of a sudden, they're using kind of that Zoom meeting as their multi-viewer, 
They're bringing the audio monitoring back from program audio, and they're able to leverage this as kind of their intercom system. Now, as they deploy this and they're working through the kinks, they're able to deploy network-based intercom and bring those utilities to the homes as well. But this was a real fast way for them to get online. Right, right. Now, now, Mike, when we talk about this, uh, th- there's a human aspect of this as well, just making sure people are trained and are able to deploy this kind of uh, technology and these kind of solutions. How can you work with people to, uh, to best deploy the solution that, that works best for them? Yeah. So the, one of the biggest things, and Les kind of mentioned it too, is you have to kind of adapt to what you've done, what you're doing today and adapt to what you're going to do. So if you have more time, you can do more. But if you have to do this tomorrow and you're throwing a webcam up there, you have to practice. You have to just kind of walk before you can run. Don't try to do your big primetime show like you would do it normally. Reduce the amount of graphics you're doing. Maybe reduce the amount of remotes on the first day. Um, And then slowly build that up. Get your practices in. Because you won't have necessarily the same amount of screen real estate at home as you do in a control room. Your multi-viewers may have less things on them on the first day. You might find ways that to rearrange stuff. So it's just making sure that you adapt and practice and train yourself. Um, Some people have more technical skills than others. Some people are really good content creators, but the tools that we build and how they've got it laid out in the control room makes it so they can focus on that. Now that they're having to adapt to new technology, their focus may not necessarily be on the content and on the technology. So it's getting getting, um, used to that and adapting what you do to what you're capable of doing with the technology that you have in that IT infrastructure or what you can see through your multi-viewer. Um, and then building up over time. Don't try to do everything you're doing yesterday, today, work into it as you, as you, as you need to. Mike, how does Ross Video provide support in these types of cases for your customers, for your clients uh, that, might be, uh, you know, that might have questions about how to pull off you know, remote broadcasts and might need some, some support? How does Ross Video come alongside and really help support its clients during this time? So when we deploy systems today or in the past before everybody was off the road, um, this is what we do. We go in, we help people, we train people, we help them rehearse, we help them practice. We do disaster drills, a camera dies, a microphone dies. Um, What do you do? How do you, how do you adapt to those things? Now, because all of our staff is working from home as well, they're logging in and helping people retrain, helping them simplify their shows, helping add a few things that may not have been needed in, in doing the shows all in a studio. Um, so all of our staff is home. All of our staff is still, they, they're not on the road. So they have the time to help out with these. So even if it's a one hour call or booking a week worth of support. So to retrain new staff, um, help them through rehearsals. And because all of the tools are now being accessed remotely from home, our trainers can log in and help them walk through things, help them lay out the screen, uh, join them in rehearsals, join that zoom call that Les was talking about. And, join in in that rehearsal. So we can help in all in, in that as well during this right now. Right, right. Now, Les, we know that there are shows that are produced remotely just on a regular basis, not during COVID-19, that that's something that, that is done and has frequently been done in the past. Do you think that it's something that we will see more of after this is over? Uh, just that people will realize, okay, we have certain capabilities. Maybe we utilize these, um, these capabilities from a studio setting and really uh, make remote uh, live production more of a uh, more of a regular occurrence. Do you think that that's something that might happen in the future? So uh, remote production has been going on for for quite some time. There's there's no question about that. We have certain customers who um, 
based on the type of content that they deal with and their customer base, um, they house, for example, all that content in, say, Illinois. Um, so it's a it's it's a company, and and that's part of their security offering. The content is protected, even though they may have people working remotely. So you've got panels and user interfaces in Prague, but the actual processing engines are in you know the United States. They also have deployments in Delhi and in um, Tokyo. Now that's still a little bit different in that. Not many have done that. What we've seen more popular in recent years has been the case where you still have camera people at, say, a sporting event and audio people, and they're bringing that content back to a facility where it's being processed in the same facility that the operators are in. And that's the remote or Remy production that we've been seeing a lot in the last couple of years. This is a little bit different in that now people are separated from the equipment and the processing location. Right. And so we've seen a little bit of that done, um, but this is really taking it uh, to to that next kind of tier. Now, one of our, our customers um, who's been doing this really well is NAP in Australia. They deployed a, a solution system where for them it was traveling people. So their people were still in facilities, but now they were collaborating across the country. So you might have a TD in Melbourne but they had their audio person in Sydney, and then they had a graphics person in Perth, but they have a complete network that facilitates them through high dark fiber and bandwidth. They're able to do a full 2110 IP-based solution. So that's, that's a whole other different tier, but again, it's all about where their focus is on leveraging that remote production. And for them, not having to fly somebody from Melbourne to Perth to work an event to then fly them all the way back was a huge benefit. It allowed people to be at home, still go in, still produce the event, still feel like they're completely part of it. But that's definitely at a whole other tier. Some of the stuff we're talking about now can even involve with remote production a lot of more simplistic designs. And what we've got is the ability to access from workstations into our products. And so here you're trying to make it so somebody has that same kind of interface, but they're not next to the equipment. And this is where I think coming out of this, some of our customers will look to adopt this type of a technology permanently, not just momentarily, because there are productions and shows, there's events where you're almost giving your 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 people, your employees, um, a little bit different kind of standard of living. It's a different lifestyle where they don't necessarily have to get on a train, take the hour commute into downtown Manhattan just so they could sit in and produce a show. Uh, maybe it is possible to produce that remotely. Considering the number of people that we remote into these productions already, a lot of times we're picking up uh, either a LiveView hit, a DeGero hit, LTN, all these different providers, satellite backhauls, they're doing it anywhere where they bring contributors in from the West Coast. Well, why can't that person be working from home and achieving this, this same result now? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And that's something I'll be watching with a lot of interest uh, as we continue to walk through the COVID-19 pandemic and what happens afterwards, especially in these in these broadcast circumstances. Uh, Mike, we talked about communication earlier, and I think that there's probably a learning process, a learning curve when it comes to how exactly do you make sure that everybody is on the same page when you're used to being able to just kind of look around and talk to everybody that's near you. And now that might be different. So kind of talk me through a little bit more about that learning curve and maybe just uh, understanding that different steps are going to have to be taken to make sure that everybody's on the same page when it comes to a broadcast. Yeah. So the, the, the big thing, like you said, is making sure everybody's on the same page. You have to, everybody has to be in agreement as to what is the expectation of the show today. What's the expectation tomorrow? What's the expectation in a month? Um, so that you're all, your, your graphic designers are working towards the same goal as your producers. So the producers are always trying to push the envelope and trying to push what the content is going to be. But if your directors and your technical staff don't understand that that is what the same requirement is, that's, that's going to cause some problems in, in, in communication with what's going to happen on the, sh- on, on the air. Um, and that's something that you need to think about today. And also six months from now, a year from now, what are we going to do? How are we going to plan for this next time? If we have to, if and it could not be this kind of disaster, it could be an earthquake. It could be uh, a fire in the building. There's other disasters that you need to plan for. And all the stuff that we're talking about now, you can use to help build those, those facilities in the future. So when you're rebuilding, do you rebuild it the way you've done it today? Or do you rebuild it with all of the stuff that we learned during this and build a remote ready facility and what's the plan when you go to use it? What's the plan on hour one, hour 12, 24, 72 hours? Is there a progression? What's the understanding of what you're going to do? Um, we don't necessarily have the answers for those. That's something that everybody has to kind of decide on their own. But that's something that you need to, everybody needs to kind of play with. Absolutely. Well, uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me today to talk a little bit more about this, um, this idea of uh, remote connectivity for live broadcast. So Brandon Rhoda, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks. And uh, Les O'Reilly, thank you for being here as well, sir. It was, uh, it was a good time. Thanks, Tom. Absolutely. And Mike Paquin, thank you for being here and sharing your insights today, Mike. Not a problem. Anytime.